0: We are going to be in uh, really referencing several different passages tonight, and I kind of want to give you a heads up about that, because you may want to jot down some of these references that I'm going to give you. Uh, Several of them I'm going to go through very quickly, because I'm uh, proving a point here tonight, and I just want to show you how prevalent this point is in the scriptures, okay? Okay. So we've been talking about hermeneutics and tonight we're talking about the concept of Christ being in all the scriptures. And so I want to take you to, well, I'll, I'm just going to uh, read these. I have them on the screen. Most every passage I have them on a reference tonight, I do have on the screen for you because I'm going to go so quickly through them. Um, so you'll have time to write down the reference. First one I want to take you to is uh, Colossians 1, 28 and 29, which I've told you in the past, Is kind of uh, these two verses are are really uh, guiding principles to my ministry, uh, personally. Um, So it says, uh, Paul. He says, "Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me." And so the point of this passage here being. That Paul's goal in ministry is that he might warn everyone and teach everyone for what purpose, that they might be presented as mature in Christ. It's important, mature in Christ. All right. 1 Corinthians 2 1 and 2. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Okay, so Paul, again, kind of just saying, listen, this is really my goal in ministry is that you might know Christ and his person and work and that you might grow in maturity in Christ. That's what he wants in everything that we see. He wants the people to know Christ and to grow in Christ. Okay, pretty simple so far, right? My question is this. It's a rhetorical question. If the goal is, is to proclaim Jesus and to grow in maturity in him, does this make the Old Testament obsolete? And so, for those who are part of our church and have been for a while, you would know that obviously the answer to that is no. But why is the answer no? If Paul came to them proclaiming nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified, how can you do that from the Old Testament scriptures? If his goal is to present everyone everyone maturing Christ and there were no New Testament scriptures yet, the scriptures he would have been using were the Old Testament scriptures and how are you going to use those to present someone maturing Christ? Can you? So I have a wonderful quote here from a guy named Harold. Harold, from a little blog post he wrote entitled, Does the Church of Christ Believe in the Old Testament? He's a Church of Christ pastor, and he writes, Paul was referring to the Old Testament when he spoke of Christ, quote, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. So in other words, what he's saying is uh, the, this reference, which is from the King James Version, which is not a great translation of what's the handwriting of ordinances, um, is, is not the greatest translation there. It's not a great translation at all, actually, because it, it means a record of debt. Uh, so what he's saying is, well, Paul told us that the Old Testament scriptures were nailed to the cross. That was just a bunch of ordinances that were against us. They were contrary to us. So Jesus nailed them to the cross and so we've come beyond that. Those scriptures are nothing but bad for us. Now we have the New Testament scriptures in Christ. Interesting. Simple question. Is Jesus in the Old Testament? And the answer is So the name Jesus is in the Old Testament. What we're going to see tonight um, is going to be kind of in two parts. And what I'm going to do for this first part tonight is take you through 13 New Testament references that show us essentially the apostolic hermeneutic that looks at the Old Testament scriptures as they find fulfillment in Jesus Christ. So what we want to look at is how did the authors of the New Testament understand and interpret the Old Testament? How did Jesus himself understand and interpret the Old Testament scriptures? And so... We're going to look at, like I said, 13 references, because this is, uh, these 13, by the way, are in no way exhaustive of all the references to this in our New Testament, but these are some significant ones, and I'm simply taking them in order that they appear in Scripture. Okay, so um, the first one you see is simply the first one that I'm referencing, and it's in the canon of Scripture. Okay. So let's look at the first one here. You'll get the idea. If you're not following what we're talking about yet, you'll get the idea very quickly. First passage is Luke chapter 24, verses 25 through 27. Look at what it says. He said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses... And all the prophets he interpreted to them in the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now Moses and the prophets would have been taken to be understood as what, the entirety of the Old Testament, sometimes referred to as um, uh, the psalms in there as well to uh, indicate another section right of the Tanakh, uh, but Uh, Moses and the prophets, you take both ends, and it means everything in between as well, okay? So uh, this is saying, this is Jesus, by the way, speaking at the road of Emmaus, right? He's saying, don't you realize that the Old Testament scriptures were pointing towards Christ, and so beginning with Moses and the prophets... He interpreted to them, that is Jesus, he interpreted to them all the things in the scriptures concerning himself. So Jesus himself looked back at the Old Testament scriptures, Moses and all the prophets, and what did he see? Himself. Luke 24, verses 44 and 45. Then he said to them, these are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. So this is Jesus speaking. Everything written about me in the Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms, there's that third category, must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. So there's a way to understand the Scriptures, but then there's a way to understand the Scriptures uh, more fully, more accurately, uh, as far as, I, can, I understand what it's saying here. Okay. Okay but do you understand that this is pointing towards the Christ? Oh, well, I guess I didn't fully understand. So Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures, that everything written about him and Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, that's the whole Tanakh, uh, must be fulfilled. John five thirty-nine and through 40. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, But it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Okay, so again, Jesus saying to the people who knew the Bible. That's what's interesting. The people who knew the Jewish scriptures. He's saying, do you realize you dedicate your time to searching the scriptures because you think that in the scriptures themselves you have life, but you, you can't see right now. That those scriptures that you're diligently searching and memorizing and teaching, they point to me. They were bearing witness to me. But they couldn't see it. You refused to come to me, that you might have life. OK? Fourth one. John 5 40, uh, 45 through 47. Again, Jesus speaking. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. It's not necessary. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. Why? For he wrote of me. But you do not believe his writings. How will you believe my words? Who did Moses write about? What did Moses write, by the way? The yeah, first five books of the Bible, known as the Pentateuch, right? Torah. John 12:39 through41. Therefore they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, "He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them." Quoting Isaiah. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Whose glory did he see? Who's the him? Jesus. Isaiah saw the glory of Jesus and wrote of him. Look at that context. It's clearly pointing towards Jesus himself. Okay, moving out of the gospel accounts, let's go to Acts. Acts chapter 3. Acts 3.18. What God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. So how did God communicate about the Christ, the Messiah, who is Jesus? By means of the prophets. What prophets would he have been referencing? All the, prophet, all the prophets in our Old Testament scriptures that we know. Next, Acts 10, verses 42 and 43. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one who was appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. All the prophets bear witness to Jesus. Seem a little bit repetitive at this point? I hope so because we're pressing in pretty deeply here on something. I just wanna show you that it's not an isolated accident in our New Testament that they thoroughly understood Jesus to be in the Old Testament scriptures. And in fact, if you read the Old Testament without seeing Jesus in it, you're not understanding it correctly. And if you're not understanding it correctly, then your hermeneutic is broken. Right? You, you don't have a proper hermeneutic looking at the Old Testament if you don't see Jesus. Next, Acts 26, verses 22 and 23. To this day, <clears throat> I have had the help that comes from God and so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. I'm not saying anything new. I'm just saying what Moses and the prophets have said. That the Christ must suffer and and that being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. He's saying, I'm not saying anything new. I'm not saying anything that hasn't been said. I'm just simply saying it has been fulfilled in the man, Jesus Christ. But He's saying, but we already had this information. But what, you, what you have to do is you have to see that Christ is the fulfillment of these things. They were speaking of something beyond themselves. They were speaking of something beyond their particular context there. They were looking forward to a fulfillment. Now You might say, but were they looking forward to a fulfillment? Did they know about the things they were writing about? Did they know that what they were saying had a future fulfillment in a Christ figure and it wasn't being fulfilled then? How aware were the prophets that they were writing about the Messiah and not about something then? Did they know? Romans 1, 1 through 3. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, Set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who is descended from David according to the flesh. Now, this one's interesting because Paul's language here is just so detailed and it points us to a particular, obvious, uh, settled decision here about what's happening. So, Paul, who is a servant of Christ, he's called to be an apostle, he's set apart for the gospel. The gospel which God promised through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures is the gospel in the Old Testament. Paul says it is. Paul says that the gospel was promised in the Old Testament, in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who is Jesus Christ. Romans 3, 21 and 22. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, there is no distinction. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law itself testifies that there will be a righteousness outside of itself that becomes manifested. Do you hear what he's saying here? The law given by Moses was not an end in itself, but it was prefiguring a different righteousness, but not a righteousness that comes through adherence to the law. We know from reading other passages that the law was put in place to show us that we are never able to fulfill righteousness on our own. We are never able to meet the mark of perfect righteousness left to ourselves and how do we know that unless there's a uh, set of rules here that says you need to basically be perfect here but you can't be so this is just helping you see that you're not perfect. So therefore don't you need a righteousness that comes outside of your own works? So that's how the law is testifying to a righteousness found outside of itself. Keep these laws perfectly and you will have a righteous standing with God. I can't. No one can. So we're all doomed. No, that's not the message. There is a promised one coming who is going to be a perfect one who would fulfill this perfectly and give you the righteousness you don't deserve. He's going to freely give it to you. But how do we come to know that? The law and the prophets are telling us about it. Romans 16, 25 and 26. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel in the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations. If you understand something about the religious context of um, this first century and where Paul and the early church was located, there was a lot happening here about mystery religions. They loved a good mystery religion. Something that had secret, hidden knowledge that you had to do certain things to unlock the key to get the knowledge. And so if we weren't careful, we would almost think that some of that is being worked in here, but no, actually it corresponds to somewhat of a truth in the fact that there was a revelation of a mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now it's been disclosed. Now we can understand it. No longer is it mysterious to us. We have the prophetic writings, they've been made known to all nations, and here is the fulfillment of all the things that have been testified about. You see that all these things have been pointing towards Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean that all those things are finally and completely already fulfilled, but if they haven't been fulfilled in Christ yet, they will be. 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing from who you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. Referencing... The Tanakh again, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. What? How can you have just the Old Testament and it make you wise for salvation through Christ Jesus? Because Christ Jesus is never mentioned specifically by name, Jesus of Nazareth. He's not there. So how can the Old Testament point me toward Jesus? Well, he's actually saying, continue of what you have learned and firmly firmly believed. You have learned of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're familiar with the Old Testament writings. And now don't you see that Jesus Christ, the one whom you have learned about, is the fulfillment of the prophetic writings, the sacred writings. And so now, understanding who Jesus is and what the Old Testament was pointing you to, this can now make you wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. Last one I'll I'll give you for tonight is first 1 Peter 1, 10 through twelve. It's the longest one too. We've got two slides here, this one. It says concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, they searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Go back to the slide before that. Let's just look at this and make sure we understand what's being said. So concerning salvation concerning salvation in jesus christ by means of faith the prophets who prophesied about this about what about the coming grace that was to be yours they searched and they carefully inquired what person or time the spirit of christ in them was indicating so the the spirit who was working in them who uh, Peter is saying, was the Spirit of Christ, who is the Holy Spirit, was working inside of these prophets of old as they were writing Scripture. We already know that, right? That's how they wrote Scripture, was by means of the Holy Spirit, carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit was working inside of them, and, and as they were writing these prophecies, they knew there is a figure here. And so they spent time, and they searched, and they carefully inquired, what is this person, and, and, and what time is this going to happen? and the subsequent glories that we're writing about. When is all this going to happen? And then it says, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves. In other words, this isn't happening right now. You're writing this for future generations to see as it unfolds in redemption history. It doesn't mean they didn't have faith in it themselves. They had faith in the promises looking forward to what God was promising. You see, that's no different. We have faith in what God did in the person and work of Jesus Christ. They had faith in what God was going to do in the person and work of Jesus Christ. You see, we're we're looking back. They were looking forward. Uh, Hebrews helps us understand that. So it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you, in the things, why, why you? Because that was the generation that saw Jesus Christ there. Because this is Peter writing. Peter's still alive here. This was about our generation when the Christ was here fulfilling these things. Things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you. Those who were evangelizing you. Those who knew of the gospel of Jesus Christ and we're preaching the gospel of Jesus, we're helping them understand the prophecies of old concerning Jesus Christ. So understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ helps us to understand what the prophets were talking about. if you don't understand the gospel, you're not going to understand what they're talking about. There is no other gospel to insert here. There is one gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and this is what they were putting... uh, Uh, pointing toward. Um, So, 13 texts. There are so many more. Okay? Those are 13 to look at. So, this is the question I asked. Is Jesus in the Old Testament? Quite obviously, the New Testament authors, Jesus himself, fully believed and understood that Jesus Christ was in the Old Testament. He is the fulfillment of those things. Okay, Um, in just a second, not yet, Jimmy, wait for my timing here. But Jimmy's going to put an image on the screen. Okay? And I want you to, as quickly as possible, shout out what it is that you see on the screen. Okay? have to be verbal. First one to do it is not going to get a prize, but I'll at least clap for you or something. Okay? Okay. There's going to be an image on the screen. It's an exercise. Who can see it the fastest? Okay? You ready? All right, Jimmy, go ahead. What is it? A rabbit duck. <laughs> A rabbit duck. At first... You see one or the other, right? But then when someone else shouts out rabbit, you go, oh, yeah, okay, I see a rabbit, and I can't unsee the rabbit now. I see both a duck and a rabbit, and I can't not see the duck. I can't not see the rabbit, but only once it's pointed out to me or I look long enough, right? It's something that you might not see at your first observation, but once you see it, you can't unsee it. Do you understand? From that, take this point. We must read the Bible with eyes that cannot unsee the person and work of Jesus Christ. We cannot close our eyes to the fact that Jesus Christ has come, that he is the promised Messiah. To close our eyes to that fact would be to not interpret the Old Testament properly. I'm to give you two quotes here on the screen. First is from John MacArthur. Second is from Louis Burkoff. MacArthur says, He is the theme of the whole of Scripture, old and new. We're going to look at the Old Testament. We're going to see what the author meant precisely and exactly what he meant to the people to whom he wrote. And when we see that, what are we going to see? We're going to see Christ. So what he's saying is, and what I want us to understand, is that we were talking about the grammatical historical method of interpretation, correct? That is, seeing it in its proper historical context and also uh, through regular rules of, of literature. Okay? Proper rules of literature. just So we're going to understand it properly. So when we do that in the Old Testament and we understand its proper context, historically, grammatically, what are we going to see? We're going to see Christ so it doesn't override the principles of grammar and history. Do you understand what I mean by that? We don't undo what we've learned, but when we do it properly, we're going to see Jesus in our Old Testament. Okay, another quote. It is only in their binding center, Jesus Christ, that the narratives of Scripture find their explanation. The interpreter will truly understand them only insofar as he discerns their connection with the great central fact of sacred history. To remove Jesus out of the context of the Old Testament is to not understand the Old Testament. Now, does that mean that you have to find Jesus in every word and in every sentence? Is that what it means? Is that what this concept means? And if you don't see Jesus, you have to force Jesus into that context. I know he's here somewhere. I'm going to find him. I am going. I don't know what, how, but I just read a verse here that says, I'm not going to read that one. Uh, <laughs> let me find a different one. Okay, uh, that would have been really funny. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, I'll get over that. Uh, when the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned and no one put on his ornaments. Exodus 33, 4. Where is Jesus? Must I find him there? Ornament. What could this mean? Okay. I need to think about this a little bit. When the people heard the disastrous word, what disastrous word of hate we heard? Disastrous word of sin. Okay. They mourned. We mourn. We mourn for our sin. We should. And no one put on his ornaments, 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 Christmas. Jesus was born at Christmas, and o- only with the birth of Jesus can we no longer mourn for the disastrous word. What do you think? You like that? Is this what this means? That you have to force Jesus into absolutely everything. And if he's not there, you've got to force him there. And if he's not there, obviously, he must be there allegorically. See, that's what I just did. I allegorically interpreted a passage to force Christ onto it. This is not what we're talking about. We're not talking about allegory. We are talking about analogy, but an analogy that actually makes sense right? Sometimes it's not even an analogy. Sometimes it is very explicit. So when we're talking about these things, here's the word we're talking about. Typology. And that means when people, events, or institutions in the Old Testament serve as models of Christ and his work. This is typology. Types in the Old Testament. Things that prefigure what? Prefigure people, people, events, or institutions are prefiguring they're serving as models of Christ and his work. I'll give you one more slide for tonight. Okay? He has a good Russian name. All right. In all the scriptures... The three contexts of biblical hermeneutics. This is the name of his book. A hermeneutical conviction. He's talking about typology. This is a hermeneutical conviction. That's what we're talking about, isn't it? Hermeneutics. That God has sovereignly organized history and revelation such that Old Testament people, events, and institutions prefigure the person and work of Christ in concert with Literary genre in history. What a great summary. I think that's an excellent, excellent summary of what we're talking about here. So what does this mean? It's a hermeneutical conviction, an interpretive conviction that when we look at the Old Testament, we understand that God is sovereign over history. Who ultimately wrote the New Testament? It's whose word? It's God's word. Now he used agents. He used men, but it's his word, right? Who wrote the Old Testament? Well, God did. So he wrote both. He wrote the whole thing. He wrote the Old Testament and he wrote the New Testament. So when he wrote the Old Testament, do you think he knew the New Testament was coming? Could you, maybe, I mean, can we maybe get there and think, you know, when he's writing this, about the holy of holies and the very presence of God and it's in a tent, this little feeble structure here on earth and a priest is going to go in there and he's going to fail sometimes and they're just going to say, oh, if we only had a better priest, oh, if only the presence of God were with us forever and personally. Do you think that God knew what he was doing when he was not only being sovereign over history, real events, but as he was recording the word himself, and then we have the word better understood and, and generalizations of truth cl- more clearly understood later is called what? Progressive revelation. It's not that we're getting more, we're having what has been said clarified. You see how this was only a shadow of what was to come? You see how a priest on earth went into a little tent to the presence of God, do you know that your high priest who never dies and who is perfect is in the actual presence of God perfectly and forever? You know all that stuff about sacrifices and about how it has to be unblemished and and all this type of stuff. Do Do you know that there was never a sacrifice that could ever take away sins? Nothing was ever perfect enough. Nothing was ever good enough. But don't you realize it was pointing toward a perfect sacrifice that could do away with sins? There's so so many things, and we're going to start talking next week about some different types that we find in the Old Testament and how they have found fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And specifically, we're going to be referencing um, those which the New Testament is drawing attention to. So the New Testament is going to say, uh, something better than that is here, and here it is. So it's gonna look at an Old Testament event and say, but here's how that event has been fulfilled in Christ, okay? So we're gonna look at some of those next week together as we better understand this idea of typology. So again, it's not, I just wanna clarify, Jesus is in the Old Testament, yes, but not in a way that we force him into every sentence, okay? It's not, we're not allegorizing, We're finding types of Christ in the Old Testament, okay? We're going to clarify what that means next week, and we're going to look at some examples together. Yeah. Uh, Just for fun. Just Just for fun. 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 Well, if you had a choice... Well, I'm going to answer that question in a way that you're not going to really appreciate. I think. So I would choose option C. And option 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 C is going to be not the home where a child grows up never knowing that their New Testament is connected to the Old Testament, but in a way where they understand that. There you are, Jane. What did we do in your bedroom the other night, talking about Genesis and the serpent? Do you remember? You do, but you're nervous, I can tell. So Jane has been reading through Genesis and Exodus, and so I asked her a question about, well, do you know what it means in Genesis where there's a curse on the serpent? And so we turned there and we were looking at it, and so when there was a curse put on the serpent, and, and uh, there was, there's this language about the serpent striking someone on the heel, and then that person turns around and crushes their head. I said, what is this talking about? I said, I can tell you what this is talking about. It's talking about Jesus conquering Satan. I said, oh. So we can draw a connection very early on. And so if we have just one or just the other, I don't, I don't like either of those options. I like learning both together and realizing there's a continuity between the two and not saying Old Testament, this category, New Testament, that category, and we kind of keep them separate. No, we need to realize that the same God wrote the entire book and that there's one main character all along, and it's not you. Unlike, well, we need to talk about that, I guess, because that's the way people read their Bible, as if you were the main character. You are not the main character of the Bible. God is the main character of the Bible. Okay, it's God's revelation of himself to humanity. Right? Yep. Are you are you praising the Lord or you got a question? I couldn't tell. You were waving it and everything. Yeah. John 1 1 said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word and the Word was with God. Yeah. And the Word was God. Yeah. Yep. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made. Yeah. That's right. So there he is right there. Very first sentence. That's right you got it he was there he already was he is from eternity before Abraham was I am Jesus was right yeah Colossians 1 helps us even farther with the details of that doesn't it about how all things were created for him and through him and anything that is is only because of him and through his hand and for his glory, for his purposes. So it's all its all very good. Uh, we're going to look at a couple of things we're going to look at. We're going to look at Adam. Uh, we're going to look at Noah. We're going to look at Moses. Uh, the bronze serpent. We're going to look at waters of baptism. Uh, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I even have a, a little David and Goliath story for you. Uh, the wrong way to read David and Goliath. We'll talk about next time too. Okay. Yep, go ahead. You can? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ha 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 ha. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you Jim I'm so glad you guys were here tonight And uh, I know that some of this stuff is new And it might be a little bit of a challenge uh, But I, it's it's good for us to understand Because at the end of the day What do we want? To understand the word that God has delivered to us And read it properly Apply it to our lives properly That we might become more mature in Christ That's the whole goal together Right? the whole goal together. So let me pray for us tonight, and we'll be dismissed. Lord, thank you for bringing us together tonight as your people, and I pray that you would continue to help us to grow um, in your word and a better understanding of your word, and I pray that you would protect us from error, that we would properly learn to interpret your word in a way that is, is truthful in the way you intend it to be understood, and so uh, just give us help. Give us protection. Give us, give us minds that understand. Um, a, a, as Jesus was there, uh, giving people understanding, opening their minds to understand the scriptures. Lord, this is what you do for us. You illuminate our minds to understand what the scriptures mean by your spirit. And so I pray that you would do that for us. Help us to understand. We want to know your word. We want to be transformed by it, all for your glory. We ask this together in Jesus' name. Amen.